It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is A to Z with Mark Zinno, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Good afternoon. Welcome to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, where today I tell you the only thing we can measure is progress. Welcome in. We are live here on this Thursday as we creep closer towards the end of the week, and we have got so much to do today on the show. First, give us a follow on Twitter at Locked On ATL. Of course, I'm at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. Subscribe to that YouTube channel. Give that thumbs up as well to all of our content there. We have got so much to do today. We want to recap the Braves and some Falcons notes that we want to get to. That's what the progress is all about. Of course, Michael Harris and his contract. And who is the Braves' most indispensable player? College football playoff making a ton of news. Plus the Hawks schedule and the rest of the NBA schedule is out. We'll break it all down for you right here on A to Z. As always, appreciate the love and support of Locked On Sports Atlanta. Let's get right into it. Last night, it was the Mets and the Braves once again, and it was Max Scherzer getting the better of the Atlanta Braves uh, as they win the game 9-7, to and crazy that there was more scoring in the last three innings than there was uh, in the first six, but nonetheless, you know, sometimes games go that way, and Jake Odorizzi was not impressive on the mound last night, uh, managed to go five innings, gave up eight hits, five runs, gave up three home runs in the process, uh, so needless to say, not exactly what uh, the Braves wanted from Odorizzi. But we talked about this yesterday and kind of coming in, you know, after you get away from some of the top starters, what are your third and fourth and fifth starters looking like and how well can they pitch? I mean, I keep likening this series and this week against the Mets and the Astros to a playoff series. Braves uh, Brave took the first two at home. Now you got to win the next one of the next two to try and really put the other team on their heels. And furthermore, in the small picture, after taking the first two, losing to Scherzer and the specter of Jacob deGrom coming today um, and and being able to take three out of four in this series doesn't really look good at this point in time. So it's very, very tough. Uh, Max Fried is going to c- get the start tonight, which is what we anticipated after he comes off the uh, the concussion IL. So you get big on big which is is really good. And DeGrom has been fantastic in his three starts. So it's it's going to be a great pitcher's matchup, theoretically. Although you could argue, um, at least in the first two games, it was a one-sided matchup, to say the least. But, you know, look, this is a guy who, uh, what are we talking about here? 16 two-thirds innings, has struck out 28 batters. Um, it's going to be fast and furious tonight. Uh, and it, look, if the Braves don't end up taking this game and they end up splitting, the Mets are going to be the ones who are feel like they're winning in this whole thing. Um, and the Braves are still going to be back to where they started at square one, which again, you feel a little bit good being able to take him, but you, you have to be able to beat Scherzer and DeGrom at least once in a seven game series. If you can't, then guess what? You're going to end up being on the wrong end of a seven game series and likely on the wrong end of a five game series. So it, it's it, the mental edge. I think, if the Braves can't win tonight, the mental edge still lies with the New York Mets, at least throughout the rest of the regular season. That said, Braves are playing some great baseball right now, and they continue to do so, so I don't 
stress too much about where they are. Uh, I don't know how likely it is that they can catch them in a division. I was having this conversation last night. Um, and if you are under six games with two weeks left to play, that's sort of attainable, right? It's sort of attainable. Like over the course of two weeks, you're probably going to play 13 games, right? Any given, you know, maybe 12 or 13 games, which means you need somebody to go eight and four and the other one to go four and eight, uh, which are both very realistic. It's not like incredibly impossible to do that. That's 666 baseball and 333 baseball uh, over the course of two weeks. And that can erase a six-game deficit. That's really what it boils down to. That's how you get back on top. So when you're under six with two weeks left, you're relatively in striking distance. You need some help because you need the other team to play bad, uh, really bad. Um, but if you get to that range where somebody goes four and eight and the Mets go four and eight or five and nine, and you do at least eight and four, you're going to be right where you need to be to catch them. So that's where that is. All right. Uh, let's get to the Atlanta Falcons here. But first, a word from our friends at Built Bar. You know, if you haven't tried Built Puffs yet, you're depriving yourself. Guys, I have Built Puffs bars, and the newest indulgent flavor is cookie dough covered in chocolate. That's right. Built has done it again. Cookie dough chunk puffs have a light and chewy texture. Real cookie dough chunks and, of course, covered in 100% real chocolate. All the joys of eating something sweet and something tasty without the hassle of making it. Plus, it's healthy for you. 15 grams of protein in them, only 160 calories. Run to Built.com to snag a box for yourself and the family. It's a perfect treat. You can really find a good hiding place for these or just hoard them for yourself. Totally up to you. Like all Built Bars, the new cookie dough puff is covered in 100% real chocolate. It means they're healthy and tasty and good for you. So go to Built.com right now. Use the promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your first order. Again, use the promo code LOCK15 for these new delicious cookie dough chunk puff bars at Built.com. Okay, so the Falcons are getting set to take on the Jets in practices. Uh, they're actually going to head up to uh, Florham Park, New Jersey, is it tonight? Today after practice, I think it is, um, for practices on Saturday and Sunday before they have the game on Monday. Or is it Friday? I think it's Friday and Saturday with an off day. And then they'll have the game on Monday. And, you know, one of the things, and this is important about measuring progress, one of the things that Arthur Smith talked about, at least leading up to this in the joint practice, was referencing their lack of preparation last year um, for the week one opener. And the part of doing these practices is that obviously you get to go against another team. You get to hit somebody else. You get to do, try to game plan a little bit, try to, you know, get more specific with your installs and things of that nature and, and really try to see uh, who can match up against a, a, an opponent. Um, I, I think the Jets present some unique challenges. They got some great guys up front on their defensive line, to so the offensive line, and those guys who are fighting for jobs are going to be tested. Um, and this is a spot where, you know, you really get a chance to measure where guys are when you have these joint practices. Because guess what? Again, the games are going to be fairly vanilla. Um, and you're trying to just get the X's and O's down. I, I don't know that there necessarily is anything in the game you can glean. And I don't, as I've said repeatedly, I don't look into games to get anything out of them. Just don't get anybody hurt. Right? Getting hurt at practice, it happens. Getting hurt at joint practices, it's always going to happen. But... The games, you have a certain measure of control where you don't need to get anybody hurt. And, and you know, look, the Falcons defense is going to go up against a veteran quarterback in Joe Flacco, not a young one in 
Zach Wilson. So I think they're going to be tested as well. But it's one of those things where Arthur Smith, you know, talked about uh, not being ready for the Eagles last year. This, I think, is something that's measurable in the preseason. What is the measure of progress? How much more can you show that you are ready to play regular season football than you were the year before? And I think that's something worthwhile measuring. I think it's something that that absolutely um, you can quantify and see fairly easily. You know, I, I think that it's a chance for Smith to really put a stamp on a direction in the organization. You know, they got embarrassed last year in week one against Philadelphia. Did not look prepared. And now I have a chance to go up against their division rival in week one in the New Orleans Saints. And taking a more aggressive approach this training camp, Arthur Smith is hoping that he will end up seeing the benefits of that in week one. Because remember, this isn't the only joint practice. They're going to do another one with Jacksonville prior to that game. And so there is so much about you know, doing this whole process, I think that is fair and measurable for this team that I'm curious to see how this plays out, not only in the game against the Jets, but as you start to build forward. Can you see a difference in preparation for the game against the Jets and execution? Same thing against Jacksonville, leading into the week one opener against the New Orleans Saints. I think all this stuff comes together um, and it's cumulative. And that's, coaches talk about that all the time in training camp. Everything compounds. You're trying to build and stack on top of a good workout after a good workout after a good practice after a good practice on top of another, another, one another week after week as you get ready for the open of the regular season. Arthur Smith hopefully learns from the lessons last year, trying to amp things up this year. Let's see if it pays dividends in week one. All right, coming up next. Um, who is the Braves' most indispensable player? Not who you think, at least according to one source. Plus, College football playoff circling the wagons to do exactly what Liv Golf did. That's next right here on A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Welcome back to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Make sure you check out all the shows here on the Locked On Sports Atlanta network. This is A to Z. I've hit Harvard, John Chuckery, ATL Day Ones, Jarvis Davis, Anthony Batiste, Grace Postcast. With Grant McCauley after every Braves game. Of course, you're going to get a big one tonight after DeGrom and Max Fried going mano e mano. And Locked On Falcons, Locked On Hawks, all of it right here. Subscribe to that YouTube channel as well, nearing 3,000 subscribers. Appreciate all the love and support, guys. Make sure you stay with us every single day. And thanks for making Locked On Sports Atlanta part of your everyday listen here on uh, Locked On Sports. All right, let's get to the most indispensable Braves player because. Jim Bowden of The Athletic wrote a column. And, you know, whenever I see these headlines, it, it's obviously designed to make you click on it. But, you know, you do the exercise in your head. The most indispensable player for all 30 teams in Major League Baseball or, or whatever it was, I think it was all teams in a playoff push. I, I guess it was all teams above 500, whatever it may be. And anyway, I just started thinking about the Braves and who would be the most indispensable player and kind of going through a list of like my top two or three and going, okay, let's just make sense. And I thought, you know, again, indispensable are guys that do more than just fill up the stat sheet, right? Like these are guys that also have, a, I guess, a leadership component to them or, you know, a certain clubhouse component that's hard to replicate. And so the first thought in my head was Dansby Swanson. 
right? Makes sense. I mean, obviously he does produce when you need him to produce. He's an above average defender. Uh, clearly he's part of the glue since Freddie left for this team. He's the guy that everybody looks to um, as one of the more veteran season guys around here, or at least longest tenured Braves for that matter. And he seems to guy, it seems to be a guy that feels pretty indispensable at this point. Then I thought a little bit more, you know, you could, you could go with uh, somebody in a bullpen when it comes to indispensable, you know, locking, maybe it's Kensley Jansen, maybe locking down the back end of the bullpen, having a secure ninth inning is super important. Look what Mariano Rivera did for the Yankees all those years. I mean, it's, you know, one of those things where uh, when you have a high end closer, it just makes life so much easier for managers. Hence last night, Buck Showalter brings Edmund Diaz in in the eighth inning uh, of a game he felt he had to win uh, at the time, which was a one-run game before it got bet. Having that level of closure that you have that kind of faith in, yeah, that's that's super important. Uh, and then you can even go to somebody like Travis Darno, you know, somebody who handles the pitching staff, you know, a guy who comes up with big hits at times, and and, and somebody like that. So those are the names that I all had in my head as guys that I thought would be pretty indispensable. Well, Jim Bowden gave that title to Michael Harris. Here's the quick write-up. Harris, who signed an eight-year, $72 million extension, is a clear front-runner for National League Rookie of the Year. 21-year-old has been a huge difference maker for the Braves, both sides of the ball defensively. He's played gold-glove caliber center field, as demonstrated by the fact he's in the 91st percentile in both outs above average and outfield jumps to go along with 93rd percentile in sprint speed. At the plate, he showed a great combination of both power and speed, belting 12 home runs, stealing 13 bases and 13 attempts. Made the pitching staff better due to run prevention, taking away singles and doubles on a regular basis. He extended the Braves lineup by adding more speed, power, and on-base skills. By the way, Travis, Travis Darno got a special mention. And it's true, Harris does all those things. And I, I don't – I'm not saying he's wrong for calling him indispensable. Um, he certainly has provided a level of spark to this team, both offensively and defensively, that was very, very hard to see coming. And the fact that he's done it and made it so easily done to me is, is quite impressive. And with that, you know, this is a, uh, this is a, a, a guy who now that's going to be here for the next eight years, they are truly looking at as one of the cornerstone pieces along with Riley, Acuna, Albies, and Olsen. Uh, that's what the Braves have done is put together their cornerstone. Now, again, I I don't want to be the, the negative guy or the Nelly Naysayer. For me, probably wouldn't have extended him this early. Probably would have wanted to see at least a full season beyond this before I give him this contract. Um, the Braves obviously have a ton of faith. They think this sticks. They think 70-plus games is enough for them to believe that this guy is worth $9 million a year. And maybe he is. And at the end of the day, is it hard to argue that $9 million is a terrible contract? Because if he stinks in three years, guess what? You can dump him, and you're only losing $40 million, right? I mean, that's that's essentially $40 million over the final four years or $36 million over the final four years, whatever it may be. Um, and that's a manageable number in baseball. Hell, if they tried to get rid of Ozuna, they'd be giving away $20 million right now over the course of two years, you know, one year. 40 million over the course of two years. Like it's, you know, they'd love to be able to dump, dump Ozuna. If Ozuna was making 9 million, he'd be gone already. That's easy. That's an easy, he'd be DFA. That's an easy fix. So, well, I think it's a little bit early at this point. Can you really question Alex Anthopoulos on anything, guys? I mean, it is, you know, it's really, really hard 
to question Alex in any size, way, shape, or form. All right, we are coming up on a seismic shift in college football, which may very much be like live golf. But first, a word from our friends at Coffee AM. Coffee never tastes so good, guys. Coffee AM, an Atlanta-based small batch coffee roaster that makes some of the best, most tastiest coffees you'll ever get your hands on. Uh, this box comes to your house. You're going to open it up. It's going to smack you right in the face. And it's going to smell glorious. Why? Because there are coffees from all over the world. Kenya, Sumatra, Tanzania, places you haven't heard of. They're so fresh because most of their coffees are roasted and shipped on the same day or very close to it. And they only roast current crop specialty grade coffees. Organic, fair trade, direct trade, expertly crafted blends, espressos, coffees, and gourmet teas, and a whole lot more. And it's roasted right here. In your backyard. Go to coffeeam.com backslash locked on today and take a full look at their menu of coffees, teas, and gift sets at coffeeam.com backslash locked on. Use the coupon code locked on at checkout to get 15% off your first order of coffees, teas, and gift sets. Coffee AM, the best small batch coffee roaster in America. I have long applauded here uh the Live Golf Tour for what they've done. I am I am all in on them. I think it's a great thing. I think the PGA is being rigid and foolish and ridiculous, as I've said several times over. But what is about to happen with the college football playoff and their board of managers uh, is very similar. So there were 11 college presidents and chancellors who make up the CFP board. Uh, They met via Zoom to begin a discussion, which could have the CFP breaking off from the NCAA and running football the sport of college football and being governed outside the ncaa it's coming folks now they were very cautious in saying it's so early in the stages you know it's a complicated process this is going to resemble a marathon blah 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 blah. yeah right they'll quickly get their ducks in a row why because there's money to be made that doesn't go to the ncaa and who is not going to follow the college football players. They go, Ohio State's going to go, nah, we're good. We'll stay with the NCAA. Michigan, nah, we're good. Oh, yeah. Must be, absolutely must be Oregon. <laughs> Definitely Georgia and Bama, by the way. I mean, they're, they're, no, we're loyal to the NCAA. We're staying here. Come on. Ridiculous. College football playoff makes their own thing. Everybody goes. Everybody goes who wants to win in the college football playoff. And guess what? Then the NCAA can come up with their Division II sort of uh, bracket thing that they'll use for the rest of the group of five schools that stay in the NCAA and, and they'll crown another NCAA champion. And then we'll have a college football playoff champion that everybody will, will pay attention to adapt or die NCAA adapt or die. That's what this is about more than anything. It's coming. Uh, and we should all get ready for it. You know, uh, they leave the NCAA, they get to make their own rules. You know, they, they, they are, not being stuck to a decision-making process that has to include, you know, schools like South Alabama, you know, Central Florida, even even Tulane. I mean, these schools that are that are group of five schools, or even beyond that, FCS, FBS, which whatever one it is, um, you know, they're all really small schools in the WAC and the MEAC and the uh, and this and the, and the Mac or whatever, you know, all those schools that aren't really group of five schools. Um, well, Mac is, but you get the point. So they can do this stuff independently and operate on their own. I think it's great. Um, the NCAA's smartest move is to quickly pivot, come up with something that keeps them there 
forces them to stay, gives them more autonomy to do what they want, allows them to make a, you know, four super conferences and create and expand their own playoff, whatever they want. I mean, all that stuff is there for them to do. The NCAA can hang on to it or they could play rigid and go, well, no, we want to do things our way. And you know what they can end up with? Nothing. Only the NCAA can stop this, right? They, 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 they're the only ones who can. And the only way they can do it is by coming to the table and saying, we want to play ball with you. What do you want? We're willing to give it to you. That's how they stay connected. Otherwise, CFP will rule. It's coming, folks. Get ready. Speaking of coming, basketball season on its way. Uh, we have the Hawks schedule out. I want to go through a big part of the schedule and point out some major spots that are going to test the Hawks medal coming up in 2022-2023. That's next right here on A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Final segment of A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. You know what to do. Search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Give me a follow on Twitter at Mark Zeno. Whole network is at Locked On ATL. And before we get to the Hawks schedule, which I think has some really interesting segments to it, let's just say that. We'll call them segments at this point in time. Uh, it is now time for Shovel of Wisdom. Brace yourselves, because it's time for the Shovel of Wisdom. And of course, you know how we do it every day. We like to whack somebody straight upside the head for saying or doing something stupid. Set them straight with a shovel of wisdom. You can do so on my Twitter account, at Mark Geno. Just use the hashtag shovel of wisdom. Today, my shovel goes to Antonio Brown. Repeat offender, Antonio Brown. Except this time, like, I know he's wrong. Yeah, if in case you missed it, Antonio Brown took to Twitter last night to take shots at, of all people, Tom Brady. Um, yeah. Not a good idea, A.B. Uh, I mean, listen, I, I love your hijinks and your antics. I said that before. I don't know whether you're crazy or smart or having fun or just being serious or whatever. But when you take shots at Tom Brady, 99.9% of the time you're going to be wrong. Um, he tweeted out, Alex Guerrero, you think I won't have smacked at TB12. Boy, stop playing with me. Boy, getting paid by bucks and taking players' money too. I guess he's referring to a shot at Alex Guerrero, but he added in a second tweet that Tom Brady manipulate the game, gets 14 days to go home to get his mind right. Now you see the difference. Put that ish on. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not really sure. Now, Tom Brady, again, has taken a leave of absence from the team uh, for two weeks, so he can deal with some personal things. This is according to head coach Todd Bowles. The break was scheduled prior to training camp kicking off. None of this is new. I mean, again, Tom Brady's not regular people. He's not regular football players. When you've won seven Super Bowls and you are the greatest quarterback to ever put on football pads, you get to do what you want, bro. That's just the nature of the game. Like, there's no getting around that. Like, there's no reason to even think that anybody else is in the same stratosphere as that. I mean, this is a unique individual who gets to say what he wants to do and everybody does it. Remember, Tom Brady chose Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay didn't choose Tom Brady. That's how this goes down. So wherever Tom wanted to go, that's where Tom went. And this is just a scenario where 
Antonio Brown is doing more damage to his already damaged reputation. And that's the problem. If you'd like to take shots at Tom Brady, you better be squeaky clean yourself. You don't have to be as great as Tom Brady, but you better be squeaky clean. And Antonio Brown is certainly not squeaky clean. Okay. Uh, let's get to the Hawks schedule. It was released. Uh, the NBA schedule was released yesterday. Um, and there are some notable things about the schedule. And I want to get to some interesting stretches that I think that are there. Of course, the Hawks open up at home uh, and they will actually open up with three straight home games. They'll play 13 sets of back-to-backs. Now, back-to-backs last year were not their strong suit, especially from a cover standpoint. If you're into that sort of thing, we can talk about that later. But um, they aren't really anybody's strong suit. So from that standpoint, it's one of those things, conditioning maybe, whatever it may be, try to take advantage of winning back-to-backs earlier in the year. Uh, when you have fresher legs, because you know you're going to be resting guys otherwise. So uh, the longest break that they'll have, eight games, eight days rather, between games before and after the, the All-Star break on February 19th. So they'll have eight days off. Uh, you know how the schedule sets up, four against divisional opponents. So that's Miami, Charlotte, Orlando, and Washington. Um, and then three against all the other Eastern Conference opponents. Obviously, a home and home with everybody from the West. Couple of notable dates. Um, they play on MLK Day or their MLK game uh, against Miami on January 16th. Uh, that's one that's worth noticing. Um, Deontay Murray faces the Spurs on February 11th and then again March 19th. Um, the Hawks go to Madison Square Garden where Trey loves to play on November 2nd and December 7th. So they come early. And um, the only appearance by the defending champions is March 17th. Golden State comes to State Farm Arena. So look at some interesting interesting little scheduling quirks here. As I mentioned, they open the season with three straight home games. And then they go out on a five-game road trip. But their first five opponents, are you ready? Houston, Orlando, Charlotte, Detroit, Detroit. Zero playoff teams in the first five opponents. Zero, guys. Now, I don't know about you, but if they don't start out 4-1 and one or 5-0, and oh, already I think alarms are going to be going off. They should start – like if they are better and they are improved and Deontay Murray, the best thing they could do this offseason, really does make them that much better, why shouldn't they start out 4-1 and one or 5-0 and oh against – the worst defense in the league last year in Houston against a super young team in Orlando that couldn't score a lot last year against a bad defense in Charlotte, one of the worst in the league again, against a young team in Detroit that has more rookies and second-year players starting than most teams in the NBA, if not all of them. Why? I mean, that is right from the jump. If the Hawks dig themselves an early hole by going two and three, I mean, it's not like it's going to be the end of the world, but you don't want to start off on that note. I get it if you face Milwaukee in the opener and Philadelphia and teams like that and, you know, uh, high-level teams uh, in the East, Boston, whatever it may be. You got the dregs of the East in the opening part of your schedule for five games. And at a minimum, they should start 3-0 and winning those games at home. Both Detroit games are in Detroit. It, 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 there's a weird thing that has happened this year uh, with the schedule that I'll get to because 
They play Detroit on Wednesday, October 26th at Detroit, and then on Friday, October 28th at Detroit, where they have these two games in the same city two days apart. Um, it ha- it's not a home-and-home. Home. Like, there's a stretch that comes up, and I'll, I'll get to the rest of the other quirks because, well, there, there's two more. They play back-to-back games in Miami and back-to-back games in Washington later on this year, which is an interesting stretch as well. So after those five games, I think the next interesting stretch starts really um, the following week, November 10th. Ready? You get a home-and-home against Philadelphia, a game against Milwaukee, a game against Boston, a game against Toronto, and a game against Cleveland. That's a a sort of six-game stretch in the middle of November, uh, the second or you know third week of the season that really is going to test this team. I mean, those with the exception of Cleveland there, and Cleveland is young and they're good and they were better more of last year than they weren't, but those are five playoff teams that you're facing in a row last year. And oh, by the way, if you want to back it up just a little, you get Milwaukee and Utah prior to the double, the home and home against Philadelphia. So really Milwaukee, Utah, Philly, Philly, Milwaukee, Boston, Toronto. All playoff teams from last year. All of them. That's a tough stretch in November. They get a little bit of a reprieve, um, you know, through the latter part of November. Some Obviously, some tough games in there. They'll see Miami for the first time on the 27th. Uh, they'll travel to, to New York to play the Knicks in Brooklyn um, in, in a two-day span, three-day span, I should say, 7th, 8th, and 9th of December. You know, they get some more of the lower parts of the East, Charlotte, Orlando, Detroit, Indiana, again, towards the end of December. Then on the 30th, they play the Lakers at State Farm Arena. And then they head out for a West Coast swing at Golden State, at Sacramento, at the Lakers, at LA. So five games all against the Western Conference starting on December 30th, going through January 8th. Back-to-back games at the Staples Center. Another weird thing, against two different teams. So there's that West Coast trip. Then there is one more West Coast swing at the beginning of February that's interesting all on the road, five in a row, Portland, Phoenix, Utah, Denver, and New Orleans. How do you match up against those teams? How do you end up, you know, uh, hanging with some of the better teams in the West, playoff caliber teams? That's tough. Told you about this little four-game road trip, back-to-back at Miami, March 4th and 6th, back-to-back at Washington, March 8th and 10th. Those are your division opponents. It's weird. Um, It's a a scheduling quirk that I don't really recall seeing much all that often, maybe once, but – when they did it three times in the schedule, and again, if you include the two against Detroit, that's the third time, and then did both games in L.A., Lakers and Clippers, but that's not all that uncommon because most teams do that when they're doing a West Coast swing. So, But here's the deal to close out the end of the season. Five of their last six games against playoff teams from last year at Brooklyn, home for Dallas, at Chicago, home for Washington, home for Philly, at Boston. If they need wins down the stretch of this thing, it could be very tough uh, for them if they're not playing their best basketball against those opponents. Going to be an interesting year for the Atlanta Hawks. Got a little bit of time before we get there, but it's going to be interesting to say the least. All right, that'll do it for us here on A to Z. Make sure you guys give me a follow on Twitter at Mark Zeno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. Follow us at Locked on ATL. Thanks for making A to Z your first listen. Make your next listen hitting hard with John Trucker right here on Locked On Sports Land. You guys have a great Thursday. Don't take any crap from anybody. See you. Hey, Prime members. 
You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.